You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. Hello and welcome to Six Figure Dog Business on PetLifeRadio.com. I'm your host, Ty Brown of TyTheDogGuy.com. Now, this is the show where we help you start or grow your pet-related business to a healthy six-figure per year or more income. Now, I'm excited because on today's show, we've got a veteran sales trainer and we've got someone outside of the dog industry. And if you've been listening to this show for a while, you know that sometimes we get folks in our industry and sometimes we get folks outside of our industry. And it's always a treat to get folks outside of our industry because... There's just a whole new perspective. And so I'll be talking today with Tom Fries, who has developed question-based selling and is a six-time best-selling author. So stay right with us. We'll be right back. Sit. Stay. We'll be right back after a short pause. It's hard to find time for your furry family member. That's where Camp Bow Wow comes in. All day play and overnight camp, daycare and boarding for dogs. Everything is included. Large play areas for fun and exercise. Spacious cabins, comfy cots, even live camper cams to watch from a computer or smartphone. Camp Bow Wow offers the best care and is the place to go where a dog can be a dog. For locations and more information, visit CampBowWow.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. All right, we're back. And with us today, I've got Tom Fries, who's developed question-based selling and is a six-time best-selling author. So first off, thanks for being on the show today, Tom. Thank you, Ty. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I'm out here in Utah. You're out in Georgia, right? Things well out there? Well, I'm in Georgia periodically. Uh, I have a house and a family there, but I'm usually out and about somewhere. Today gotcha. I happen to be flying out tomorrow. So, Well, and tell us a little bit about that. Tell us about yourself and your background, what it is you do. I basically am in sales, whatever that is. And uh, as a salesperson, I struggled mightily, got frustrated, and I couldn't figure out why they kept teaching me how to sound like everyone else. And so I started to experiment with different approaches to, to try to differentiate myself, my product, my company. And uh, I went from kind of the bottom of the pile to the top of the heap and uh, finished my last seven years in sales at 200% of quota. And so, you know, my company said, hey, can you teach everybody else? And one thing led to another. And 20 years later, this, I've written six books. And that's my specialty is teaching people how to base, basically bring in revenue. And and one thing, Ty, I would add is I don't disagree that I'm outside your industry, but I'm not that far outside your industry because some of my clients are large corporate Fortune 100 companies, Mm -hmm. but there's plenty of clients I work with that are financial advisors, insurance people that are working one-on-one with families and homeowners and just very similar to what your audience would be doing is the one-on-one personal sale as Mm -hmm. opposed to the larger corporate sale. 
and that's one of the reasons I wanted to get you on because I'm always trying to bring, you know, awesome guests to my listeners and things like that. And I was looking for somebody that could help us with sales training. And I did a lot of research and I'm looking for folks who have books. I'm looking for folks who, you know, have been in the trenches and things like that, aren't just teaching about theory and aren't just teaching from a textbook, but have actually done stuff. And, and that's your style really resonated with me because like you mentioned, or like was mentioned earlier, you're the developer of question-based selling. I've got a few other questions I want to get into, but before we do, can you give me just a brief summary of what is question-based selling? Well, yeah, at a high level, it's an approach, it's a philosophy, it's a methodology. So, so I'm not a big fan of gimmicks and tricks. Turns out customers don't want to be tricked, especially Mm -hmm. not by a salesperson. So you know, cute little clever one-liners is really not where it's at today. But what you find out is is customers, they do buy things and they want to be helped. They don't want to be sold. So traditionally, the word selling has been defined as a verb. Like, let's go sell this product. Let's mm-hmm. sell this customer. Let's sell them on such and such. And that's fine, except if you're the customer, that sounds you know, self-serving and manipulative. If you're, if the person is trying to sell you, they're trying to line their pockets is what it really amounts to. So the more aggressive that sales interaction is, the more defensive people tend to be. So really question-based selling is a methodology for how to do two things. One is how to help customers make good decisions. And before that, how to cause customers to lower their defenses and want to be helped by you. Because mm-hmm. it's very difficult to sell to somebody who's you know standoffish and and skittish and holding uh, the salesperson or vendor at, at arm's length. Well, and I wanted to highlight something that you said there that I really liked because you said I want to lower their defenses. Now, a manipulative salesperson would be like, I want to lower their defenses so I can sell them something. But what you said was, I, you know, lower their defenses so that we can help them. Is that kind of how you view the position of salesperson as someone, you know, is a helper rather than, you know, someone who's just hawking a product? Well, yeah. I mean, if the customer doesn't want to be helped, I really don't have any advice for you. Because mm-hmm. if somebody doesn't want to be helped, you know, they come on, you know, in your store, onto your car lot, into a meeting, and they're turned off. You know, so so the real skill set today is not doing unto the customer. It's, first of all, connecting with them. And Mm -hmm. causing people to say, hey, wait a minute, you might be a valuable resource. You might be able to help me. And then causing them to want to engage. I mean, that's Mm -hmm. kind of step one. So if you ask the traditional salesperson today, you know, and I don't care if it's somebody who's been doing it 10 months or 10 years or 30 years, what are you doing? What's your strategy to cause customers to want to be helped by you? Everybody looks at you with a blank look and says, "What, what are you talking about? And so... It's not an act of manipulation. It's frankly an act of if you have a need and you have something that we do, does it make sense for us to have a conversation about it and see if there's a fit? And if people say, no way, you're not going to sell them anything. And let's be honest, your customers who listen to this, they are in business to sell stuff and and make money. And people know that. And Mm -hmm. and people are happy to buy stuff and they're happy to buy for stuff knowing that whoever they're buying from is making an income off that. They just don't want to be pushed, and, mm-hmm. and they don't want to be pressured or persuaded and all this kind of stuff. And, and so, so I'm kind of on the, if you can cause people to want to engage side, and they see it as a valuable resource, then it really doesn't have to be that difficult to have a productive conversation with somebody. If they have a need, we fill it, and if they don't, maybe they come back two months from now because they appreciate the way they were treated. 
And so there's a phrase that you've said a few times that we've been talking here. You've said sales today or or how sales is done today. And that's one thing I like about your approach because it's a very modern approach, you know, taking into account how people like to purchase these days, you know, how people make their buying decisions. And in so doing, I know a lot of what you teach is somewhat even counterintuitive to like maybe old school style sales training and things like that. There's a few key things, you know, that we can take from some of your books that I wanted to kind of highlight and talk about with the audience here. For example, one of those is in sales training, we're often taught, you know, find the pain points. I've said this to people before. Hey, we got to find the pain points, you know, when we're talking to our clients. You say that there's no need for that. Can you expound on that a bit? Well, yeah, I'll say it a little differently. If somebody's in pain, if somebody comes walking into one of your listeners, you know, businesses and says, look, I need help. I'm dying here. Help them, you Mm -hmm. know, And, and, and sometimes that happens. But the example I used with you when we were strategizing here recently was, you know, Apple. Everybody's heard of Apple. And I asked you if you had an iPhone. You said, yeah, in my hand. I have an iPhone in my hand. And so Apple came out with the iPhone 6 in the fall of 2014. That weekend, between Friday and Sunday, they sold a record number of products, 10 million units, 10 million in three days. And, And so how many people that bought an Apple computer do you think did so on the very first day it was announced? or second day, we're in pain. And I would say not that many. So the old mentality is go find a pain and then you can solve it. And I don't disagree that that can happen. I'm just saying a lot of people make purchasing decisions, especially in the dog business, if you will. You know, boy, if your dog has cancer, if your dog has a problem of a thorn in their paw, I mean, you take them to a vet and you have them fixed. Mm-hmm. I get that. But there's plenty of people, and I have a dog myself, that make purchase decisions based on goals, needs, wants, objectives, uh, desire, personal preference, compliance issues. And so my point is don't go out only looking for pain because people are motivated by so many other things. Somebody might say, well, hey, are you having problems with managing your personal finances? No. But the next question might be, hey, would you like to look at ways you can improve the way you manage your personal finances? Well, I guess, maybe. <laughs> yeah. And so, so to try to indict the customer as doing it wrong or having pain actually causes people oftentimes, not every time, but oftentimes to get defensive. Yeah, because you're, I guess you're coming at them from like, all right, I know there's a problem. Where's the problem? And you're kind of poking at them trying to find that problem. That's kind of where you find the defensiveness spring up? Well, let's differentiate between the word problem and pain. Okay. Okay. Because if I look in the newspaper this morning and find out I have the winning lottery ticket for $100 million, I do have a a problem. I got to get that ticket somehow to the downtown office so I can cash in. But hardly a pain, (laughs) right? So, So I'm using the logical definition of problem. If you look it up in the dictionary, like a lot of words, it has multiple definitions. The first definition always associates problem to a pain. So if he says, I have a problem, the next thing he says, what's wrong? So so it's possible. So make him walk into one of your listeners' establishments. I, I have a problem. And you say, well, what's wrong? Because that's probably what they mean. But the second definition, if you look it up in the dictionary, is the logical definition defining problem as a discrepancy between what is the status quo and what could be an improved condition. So somebody could walk in and say, you know, start looking around at the different things in, in the store, for example, for pets. And you say, oh, how can I help you? Well, I'm looking to find a cool collar because I got a party coming up this weekend. They're not mm-hmm. in pain, but that mm-hmm. doesn't mean they're not ready to do something. 
somebody wants to buy a puppy, they, they're not in pain. Well, yeah, if their dog died a week ago, they might say we're trying to replace Rover or something. Okay, I get that. But there's plenty of people who buy a puppy because they want an addition to the family. And so we're not really, I mean, I don't see how that solves a pain, but it does satisfy a, a goal, want, desire, need, and it takes the status quo, what they don't have, a puppy, a cat, a bird, to what they desire, having a new friend. You know what? I, I like the direction you're going there because it's going to resonate with the audience, and you can understand as well because you've told me that you've done a lot of training with your dog. But you know, so many people listening are dog trainers, or they're in vets' offices, or whatever, and they know that you know it's not the same thing that motivates every dog. And that's kind of what I'm hearing is you know, find out what the actual motivation is, you know, what's causing somebody to want to make a buying decision, what's their motivation, and see if you feel that. Just like when you're training a dog, this dog's motivated by food, this dog's motivated by relationship, this dog's motivated by whatever. Interesting. I like I like that. Can I make it a, just an insertion there? Yeah. The phrase, find out what they want, I agree with, because mm -hmm. usually customers have something on their mind, but very few customers articulate all their needs. So they, they might come in and say, you know, look, I'm looking to uh, buy a dog or I'm looking to buy a travel case. Well, okay, for what? Because if you're going to take a pet like a small dog on an airplane, that's a different ball of wax than if you're going to you know, run for president and put the dog in a cage on the top of your car. That's okay. a joke right there. In, in, 2012 uh, joke, but still a good one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, you know, a lot of people say, hey, look, I want a new iPhone. And so the tendency has been in the past, we'll probe them for what they need. But most people share fractionally. So they say, I need a phone. Okay, mm -hmm. well, wh what specifically do you want in a phone? I want to be able to make calls. Okay. Do you also want to be able to do internet? Yeah. Would it be valuable if you had uh, text capabilities? Well, yeah. Could you want to download apps? Well, yeah. Do you want touch screen? Well, yeah. So the reality is your listeners probably deal with people who have similar needs all day long. Mm -hmm. And so when somebody comes in and says, look, I, I can't get my dog to behave. I need some training. It's not really a rocket science to say, well, what do they want? They want they want the dog probably be house trained. They want him to not uh, jump at people. They they want him to not track mud in the house. They want him to respond to commands. But if you take out a pencil, if any one of your listeners takes out a pencil, write down what's all the things anybody's ever wanted in the last six months. They can make a list of twenty or thirty things. The reality is your next customer is going to want a half a dozen or a dozen things on that list, but they're going to only name two or three. So the question then is, who's going to bring up the rest? And so the way you really win in sales today is by being a valuable resource. Well, if you don't bring up any ideas, then you basically work at McDonald's. You say, what would you like? Well, I'd like a hamburger, fries, and a Coke. And then you fill the need, and that's it. Mm -hmm. When in fact... Everybody knows that there's a possibility for upselling, cross-selling. It's possible that customers don't really know what they need. And then if you're the one that can help them define it, they go, oh, that's exactly what I need. Then, boom, all of a sudden you're connecting with them on a mutual benefit level. And they go, wait, wait thanks for your help. This is really great. This, this is a lot easier than I thought it would be. Boom. And so I like what you're saying because you're saying the traditional sales training of, of uncovering needs is a little bit, you know, not quite accurate. Well, what I'm saying is if people don't know what they need, you're not going to uncover it by blasting them with a bunch of questions. And so, the reality is if you're the expert in your field, you may very well know more about what they need than the customer does. 
So I'm very open and willing to listen to the customer, but I deal with, for example, directors of sales and vice presidents of companies who hire sales trainers, and they never, ever articulate all their needs. They'll say, look, we need to increase productivity. We need to make our quota. We need a competitive advantage. I take that input and I say, okay, do we also need to worry about ramping up new employees? What about bolstering the marketing effort? What about bringing in more needs or creating a sense of urgency? And they go, yeah, 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 yeah. And so think of it this way. Anybody who's in sales really is a advice giver, if you will, except if you work at McDonald's, then you're an order taker. But if you want to have a legitimate business where people come to you for solutions, you're an advice giver. Well, if you don't bring up any new ideas, Ty, or any one of your listeners, then why would people want to come to you for advice? It's just kind of a proactive thought leadership mindset of my customer probably has some things in mind, but it's very possible that that I can bring up some things that would be very valuable to them. And they go, aha, wow, that was really helpful, Ty. Thanks for helping me. This is really good. So would you call that like leading questions to where based on, okay, I've got this expertise in this area, they're only going to fractionally share with me and they might not even know what they need. Is that the strategy here to kind of leading questions like, well, hey, do you think you need this as well or, or would this be valuable as well? Is that, is that the solution that you're proposing here? Kind of, well, in theory, yes, but the, the phrase leading questions has a negative connotation. If you've ever watched a show on television about, you know, law and order or anything else that includes a courtroom, as soon as as somebody asks a leading question, somebody stands up and says, objection, that's leading the witness. I'm not leading anybody. I'm just trying to help them. And so so the reality is, if somebody comes in looking for, Ty, pick a product. I'm a, what, dog trainer. Somebody comes in and says, what? Role play with me. Someone's going to come in and say, I need help. You know, my dog is barking and lunging at, you know, at every dog when we go on a walk. Okay. So you wanted the dog to be able to kind of settle down a little bit, listen to your commands and and be uh, a member of the family as opposed to a renegade. Yeah. It's embarrassing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Do we also need to worry about, you know, house training it or is it, is it fine there? No, he's fine there. Yeah, he's fine. Okay. And what kind of diet does he currently have? And oh, what just, I, you know, I'm just I'm yeah. just asking more about this scenario because the reality is if I don't know the big picture, like for example, how old are the kids, and and who's the primary person the dog listens to in the house, and how long have you had the dog, how old is the dog, until I know kind of a bigger picture, trying to solve the problem is kind of jumping the gun. Now, I'm not suggesting you say, well, look, I'm not interested in what you said, Mr. Customer, so I'm going to ask you 30 minutes worth of questions. Mm -hmm. I'm just saying in another two minutes, I can learn a lot about what's going on in this situation. And let me ask you a question, Ty. If you're a customer and I'm a dog trainer, do people like it when you're interested in their situation? In fact, I was just about to say that, that that people really resonate when they feel that they're being heard because I do a lot of, you know, phone sales in my business. And as I ask questions, you know, sometimes my questions get off topic and, hey, what do you do for a living and stuff like that. But anyways, you know, when I keep it on topic, yeah, I mean, it, it goes so much better and they go from kind of a little bit, you know, cold to, all right, you know, this guy knows what he's talking about. Yeah, or, or I just want the benefit of the doubt. I just, I, I'm not going to earn a PhD in two minutes, but I want him to go, hey, this guy might know what he's talking about. And speaking of off topic, you know, you know, if you're reading the papers, the divorce rate here in the United States is above 50% now, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Okay, well, if you ever talk to a counselor, a marriage counselor, or somebody who does that, I know plenty of people who are in that business, the chief complaint 
that they hear, family counseling or marriage counseling, is somebody I care about doesn't take the time to care about what I'm trying to say or communicate with them. Mm. And so, so if we just take that little kernel of idea and apply it to sales, if a customer comes in and says, I need A, and the salesperson says, okay, yeah, that's cool. There is one time in, in all of my methodology training that I recommend exact words. And my first question would be, that's fine. I'm happy to help you. Can I ask you a couple of specifics about your current situation? And every time, when I say every time, I mean 99.99% of the time, people will say, sure. Now, once somebody says yes, they will instantly give you more information in more depth that's more accurate. So let me ask you another question, Ty, and I know the answer to but for your listeners' benefit, do people like it when you're respectful of them as opposed to trying to shove something down their throat? Oh, of course. Yeah. Especially when it deals with matters of their pets, which is such an emotional thing. They need to feel a connection more than exactly. they might, so be, you know, if they're buying so before products. Exactly. So before I ask questions, I don't just start blasting with questions. I say, well, that's fine. I think I get it. Can I ask you a couple of specifics about your current situation or the current dog behavior? Can I ask you a couple of specifics about your dog? However you end that question, can I ask you a couple of specifics about blank? However you end that question, the answer, as soon as they say yes, they basically have said, Ty, can you ask me a few questions about our situation so you better understand it and give us the best advice? Which puts you in a really great spot. And people just start spilling their guts of, you know, well, here's what we're trying to accomplish and here's why. And, and then I have an opportunity to kind of dig around that further a little bit. And again, it, it sounds like, Tom, you're adding steps. Well, actually not. I'm speeding up the process. If you mm -hmm. cause people to who know you're in business to make money to want you to, to help them and give you advice, that speeds up the whole process. I like it. Now, I want to take a quick break, but when we come back, I want to kind of debunk a little bit more of, uh, of the old school you know, sales methodology. So stay right with us. We're going to be back with Tom Freeze. Sit. Stay. We'll be right back after a short pause. They called it elephant skin. It was rough, wrinkly, like a Brillo pad. His hair was falling out in clumps. Petey stopped eating and all his hair fell out. Our golden retriever, Sundance, he scratched incessantly. There was hair all over. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot oh. com. 859-428-1000. The omega-3 fatty acids. Flaxseed, zinc, alfalfa. The digestive enzymes that are cooked out of regular dog food. Dynavite is nutrition. Within two weeks, the shedding slowed down to almost none. The scratching went away after a few days and... Sundance's coat was starting to get shiny and glossy. It's a 180 turnaround. His skin has cleared up. He is not in pain. If your dog has shedding, dry skin, excessive scratching due to Dynavite. 859-428-1000. Dynavite for life. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E oh. dot com. Begging to hear more of your favorite show? Full episodes of all our shows are available on demand. Go to PetLifeRadio.com to fetch our entire lineup of possum pet podcasts. Also, dig us up in iHeartRadio Talk and iTunes. Let's talk pets. Live and on demand only from Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Pet 
right, we're back, guys, and we're talking today with the founder and developer of Question Based Selling, who is a six-time best-selling author, Tom Fries, and he's telling us how a lot of the old-school styles of sales training may not be so applicable today. And one thing that I know that I still remember from my first sales job when I was 17 years old selling stuff on the phone is overcoming objections. You know, and all right, you get an objection, you know, and, and the old school sales training was like, all right, hallelujah, you got an objection. Now you've got the ability to close them and sell and blah, blah, blah. I know you think differently. Can you expound on that? Well, yeah, let's go back to when you were 17. I mean, today, Ty, you have a phone, right? Do you ever get cold calls on your phone? Yes, yes, yeah, I do. When you, when you get a cold call from somebody selling anything from financial services. I got a call last night from a guy who wants me to invest in oil fields somewhere in rural Texas, you mm-hmm. know, and then and then you get the next cold call and the next cold call. What's the first thing that pops in your head when somebody cold calls you? I don't have time for this. Yeah, and every, that's how everybody feels. Mm-hmm. So if you ask the question, over the last year, two years, five, 10, 20 years, have people become more open and receptive to sales calls or more cautious and standoffish? So much less receptive. I mean, there's stats on how few people even answer the phone these days. Exactly. So so let's start with the fact that whatever sales approach you have, and well, let's take the word sales training out of it. I just teach people how to sell more stuff. I teach people how to make more money, whatever that's called. So mm-hmm. if you can reduce this level of standoffishness and reluctance and turn it into somebody who's eager to want to talk to you, then good things happen. So that's not going to happen magically. And it's not going to happen because of one liner. It's going to happen using in the methodology I teach strategy and very specific techniques. Mm -hmm. One of which we just mentioned, can I ask you a couple of specifics of, but that's not how you start a conversation. But along the lines of objection handling, which you asked about earlier, if you go to the bookstore today, I guess even there's not that many bookstores anymore, but Amazon, there's thousands of sales books. And Mm -hmm. objection handling is a topic handled or mentioned in all of them. And what the traditional mindset is, uh, as soon as a customer comes out with an objection, as a salesperson, your job is to overcome it. And I'm saying, okay, that's fine. And my new book that just came out two weeks ago, called Salesforce 2020, I talk about the fallacies of the old school. And one of the fallacies is is objection handling in this sense that I would tell you there's no such thing as an objection. It mm-hmm. doesn't exist. And, and when we strategized before, you, you were kind of saying, hey, tell me more about that. So there is rejection. Somebody could say to one of your listeners, look, we've chosen a different direction. Mm-hmm. That happens. You're not going to win every sale. But when, when somebody says, well, this seems like it costs a lot. That sounds to people like an objection. People have been taught for 30, 40 years. When you get an objection, your job is to overcome it. Well, wait a minute. If somebody says, well, you know, Ty, how much is this going to cost me? And you hear that as objection, you're going to try to overcome it. I hear it differently. I hear, hey, Ty, can you help me understand the financial implications of this decision so I can know whether or not it's something I want to do? And so as soon as somebody says to me, hey, Tom, can you help me understand further? I don't try to overcome that. I try to help them more. And so, you know, what are objections? Well, you know, I'm going to have to talk to my spouse about this. I don't try to overcome that because if that's true, they're going to have to talk to their spouse about it. But I might say, well, can I ask you a couple of specifics about your spouse's preferences? And they'll say yes. And I say, does he or she do this or that? Do they have an interest in this or that? Would they like to come in and, and kind of see it firsthand? 
I just there's an opportunity to take that invitation. I, I call them not objections. I call them invitations. So when somebody invites me to help them further, trying to squash that makes no sense to mm-hmm. me or anybody else. I'm just the guy who's pointing that out to the world. So to speak. so an objection is an invitation to serve them further. Is what I mean. Well, to help them in some way. It might be help them educate. It might be further understand. It might be to suggest possible next steps. I mean, not every sale goes from the start line to the finish line without some degree of navigation around a, an obstacle. So when somebody says, hey, there might be an obstacle, I'm not going to try to squash that. That's almost disrespectful. That's like saying, I don't care if there's an obstacle. I still want to make a commission off you. That's why... I bet you 99% of your listeners, when they walk on a used car lot, bristle because they know somebody's going to try to shove it down their throat. And you just have to, you have to back up. If you're in the business of producing revenue, selling stuff, helping customers, you have to back up and say, well, why does making people feel more standoffish help us? And the answer is it doesn't. And it's not enough. In my business, it's not enough to indict the status quo and then say, good luck. Mm-hmm. What I do is I, I create a gap between here. Here's what people have been taught for a long time. Here's why it doesn't make sense. And here's what to do instead. Mm-hmm. And so that's essentially the business I'm in. In closing here, I just wanted to, to highlight what you just said, because like I say, I know a lot of folks have gone through sales training like myself. I know a lot of folks have read books because we're all in business to make money, like you've mentioned. And so folks forever have been hearing about finding pain points, discovering needs, overcoming objections, things like that. And I like how you've kind of turned a lot of that on its head and given us a different way to look at it and a different way to approach it that's more effective these days. So maybe it'll go backwards. Maybe people will suddenly become less reluctant to talk to salespeople and maybe cold calls will start to work again. Hmm. But I don't think so. I don't think that's going to change anytime soon. And so what traditional approaches don't factor in is a person or a buyer's natural skepticism towards sellers. And so so instead of hoping just it doesn't happen or ignoring it, you know, my books are kind of the only books around that start with the fact that, hey, if you're dealing with somebody who wants to buy from you and already loves you and is super receptive, you don't need a strategy. Just sell them what they want, right? Mm-hmm. But if you're dealing with somebody who's somewhat skeptical toward a salesperson, a seller, and a vendor, we're all skeptics, frankly, at this point. I mean, you can't turn on the news without seeing some expose on identity theft or somebody is wrong, somebody, or somebody's offended somebody. I mean, everybody is on guard. And I'm just saying, let's start with the premise to how do you sell to people who are naturally standoffish to folks that are quote unquote in sales, then wrap your methodology around that. You can sell a heck of a lot of stuff if you're helping people. And if you're trying to, you know, sell and expose their pain and show them what they're doing wrong and everything else, sales could be a really hard way to make a living. So for folks, like I said, you've got several best-selling books out there and you've got a brand new book. How can folks find those and, and, uh, and grab your books? Well, the easiest way is uh, just on the, our website. The name of the company, QBS Research. QBS, of course, stands for question-based selling. So it's qbsresearch.com. And then, you know, everything from contact information to books to I've got tons of articles and blogs and 
In fact, one of the articles I just did, uh, it's uh, it's under the light side of sales, lighter side of sales humor section, is about a, a fellow selling cats. So <laughs> not exactly the same as dogs, but, but pretty probably... Probably would put the smile on somebody's face. That's cool. Well, thank you so much for being on the show, Tom. And for those listening, thanks for listening today. Make sure you go apply this stuff. We we share so much awesome stuff on this show, and it's all useless unless it's applied. So make sure you uh, head over to PetLifeRadio.com and listen to all my shows. And then while you're there, listen to all the other great shows that we've got on PetLifeRadio.com. Tom, thanks again for being on the show. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand. Only on PetLifeRadio.com.